Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Vroom. Joining me this week is Asher Durham, a rider that made a name for himself in the Moto3 Championship in the UK, known as the Motorstar Championship. He's moved up this year riding in the British Superstock 600 Championship. And a little bit later on, have you ever raced a motorcycle at 328 miles an hour? No, didn't think so. Well, my final guest on today's episode has, and uh, her plans are to go even faster. I'll be joined a little bit later by Valerie Thompson, the American who is the fastest female racer in the world. begin this episode of Vroom as we usually do with a recap of the last seven days of the uh, motorsport world beginning with the Formula One World Championship. The Formula One Championship had moved from the UK at Silverstone where they had been for the back-to-back races over to Spain and the uh, Spanish Grand Prix at the Circuit de Catalunya near Barcelona. It was another win for Lewis Hamilton who now uh, has a standalone record as the rider or the driver rather with the most number of podium finishes in Formula One. He's got 156, one clear of the legendary Michael Schumacher. Well, it was a win once again from Max Verstappen. Verstappen in the Aston Martin Red Bull machine uh, in second position, complaining throughout on the radio uh, that his race engineers were too bothered, too worried uh, about what Mercedes were doing and screaming at them to uh, A, change the tyres and B, focus on their own race. Worked out in the end uh, pretty well for uh, Verstappen, who back in 2016 became the youngest ever Formula One uh, race winner uh, at the Circuit de Catalunya. He finished in second ahead of Valtteri Bottas, who uh, got the surprise of his life uh, on the beginning of the race uh, as Lance Stroll fired his way through into third position. Uh, Bottas, who will remain with the Mercedes team alongside Lewis Hamilton next year, fought his way through, eventually finishing in third position. Uh, testing has also been underway uh, for the Indy 500 race, uh, the race that will be run without spectators at the legendary Brickyard Circuit, the Indianapolis 500, taking place next week. And we'll have a full recap of that event in next week's show. Let's turn our attention then to the IDM German Championship, and it's a four-round championship, eight races only, to determine the 2020 Superbike Champion of Germany. And uh, they got their championship underway at the TT circuit in Assen. All eyes were on uh, Jonas Folger, the former Moto2 rider, the former MotoGP rider. And, uh, well, the German didn't disappoint. He was fastest in free practice. He took pole position and he dominated both races, uh, winning race one and race two quite comfortably uh, on his uh, Bonovo Yamaha. Second place in both races at Assen went to Ilya Mikalchik on the BMW. And third in both races went to Florian Alt. 
Alessandro Polita, a name that you may be familiar with if you used to follow the Superstock 1000 Championship and, of course, uh, the World Superbike Championship. He's been a, a regular in the IDM series for a couple of seasons now. He's riding one of the all-new uh, Fireblade Hondas, and he finished uh, a weekend's best of fourth position in the second race in the championship. So uh, some hope for Honda in the German series. Uh, no CEV racing this weekend, no Italian racing this weekend, no BSB racing this weekend, but MotoGP was back in action. And I tell you what, uh, I needed a lie down after uh, the events that took place at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. If you haven't seen the races yet, uh, you do need to watch. Uh, incredible racing in Moto3. Moto2 and MotoGP, uh, but it was the latter two races, Moto2 and MotoGP, that everybody was talking about. A monster crash involving four riders in Moto2. Uh, thankfully, all four riders escaping relatively unhurt uh, following a crash by the uh, previous championship leader, Enea Bastianini, who crashed, uh, unfortunately, bikes uh, everywhere. And uh, Hafi Shireen, uh, the unfortunate Malaysian, left with nowhere to go, uh, basically split the bike in two, uh, Enea Bastianini's bike in two, Landed quite heavily, uh, but thankfully uh, he, uh, after undergoing some scans, uh, escaped with no broken bones. And that, that really is uh, a miracle. Uh, the win, of course, in Moto2 going to uh, to Jorge Martin. Alberto Reynas winning in Moto3. But, uh, well, if you didn't see MotoGP, you do need to watch the replay. A monster crash uh, involving Johan Zarco, who had just uh, slipstreamed his way past Frankie Morbidelli. Uh, Morbidelli seemingly uh, having his line taken or outbreaking himself but colliding with Zarco anyway uh, and the two machines careering through the gravel and uh, literally bouncing over the head of uh, Valentino Rossi who uh, well I tell you what he doesn't often look like a 41 year old racer but when the cameras panned down to him in his uh, Yamaha garage he definitely looked a little bit shaken up. In the end when racing did get underway it was Andrea De Vizioso who notched up the 50th MotoGP win for Ducati less than 24 hours uh, after announcing that he would be leaving uh, Ducati at the end of 2021. Juan Mir on the Suzuki took a first MotoGP podium in second place ahead of Jack Miller, who made it to Ducati's on the podium. Brad Binder finished fourth ahead of Valentino, who was the top Yamaha, but uh, it really was all about Davizioso and Ducati. The talking point before the weekend and the talking point after the weekend as well. The MotoGP Championship stays in uh, Austria. They will have the Styrian Grand Prix next week at the same circuit. Can Andrea Davizioso uh, go and get a double at the Red Bull Ring? And can he potentially lead the MotoGP World Championship for the very first time in 2020? Well, we will find out very soon. Of course, we'll also have a, a review or a, a preview, should I say, of the upcoming uh, races in the BSB and World Superbike Championships. They'll be back in action. There is a little bit of World Superbike action uh, to bring you up to speed with. There was a two-day test held at Motorland Aragon uh, last week, and that test was topped by Alex Lowe's, uh, who was the fastest uh, for the Kawasaki racing team. So uh, we've had four different leaders in the World Superbike Championship this year. We could see more. We've had four different winners, seven podium finishers, and I've got a feeling there'll be a few more getting on the podium and possibly even a couple more winners uh, before we get to the end of the season. So World Superbike back in action at Motorland Aragon at the end of the month.
Okay, first up on episode eight of Room is Asher Durham, a name that you may be familiar with if you've been following the BSB Motorstar series, but Asher no longer in Motorstar. Uh, he's actually riding with uh, with the big boys. Can we say that, Asher? I don't know if we can, but so uh, you've uh, you've progressed onto the stock 600s this year, and uh, Asher should be dialing in somewhere from the Midlands. Uh, Asher, can you hear me? Hello, yeah. How you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, very well. Very well indeed, thank you. And uh, as I say, uh, just a bit of, bit of tongue-in-cheek there, saying that you're racing with the big boys now. But it, it is a bit of a step up, isn't it? Riding uh, a stock 600 compared to the little Moto 3s. A lot heavier bike, a little bit faster bike. Uh, a very different challenge for you. Yeah, 100%. The bike is is a different ballpark. It's a, it's a road bike turned into a race bike, as opposed to last season being on the a Mahindra it was, that I was on, which is a full race bike. Um and it's obviously a 250 to a 600, well, 636 actually is what, what I ride. So it's a bit of a change, but I'm enjoying the challenge and starting to get to grips with the bike. Yeah, and obviously, I guess this coronavirus pandemic, it's played havoc with everybody. It's, it has been a complete pain in the backside for everyone, hasn't it, all around the world. And I guess that's limited you in terms of when you could test, when you could get on the bike as well. Yeah, track time's been quite hard to get out for, so... This season, I, ha- I went out in, in March. I went to Spain for like a four-day test at Cartagena for the first time on the bike. And then I came back, did a test at Cadwell, and then Corona hit. And I didn't ride a bike until the official BSB test, which was about a month ago now. And I've had two tests since then. So I've been on the bike four times before we went out to race last weekend at Donington. So very limited track time. And before that, I hadn't ever been on a 600. So it was a new sort of it's a learning curve for me. For sure. Yeah. And obviously Cartagena, for those that are listening, that are maybe from the car world that have never been to Cartagena, it's a, a, quite a small tracking car. It's a couple of miles long in uh, in Spain, near Murcia in Spain. Um, but it's a very technical track, isn't it? I mean, I remember going there years ago, but it's very technical, very twisty, very up and down. It's kind of like a mini Portimao. There's aspects of the track that remind me of Portimao, where you come over the top and the front wheel goes light. Uh, and I guess you're getting a little bit more airtime on a 600 than on a, on a Moto3. Yeah, it was so much more physical. It made on the Moto Three, you, you you have to work to use all the track, whereas on the six hundred, you run out of track everywhere. It was it's a bit of a bit different. Let's just say that. Yeah. So obviously, as I said, the Vroom podcast for for those that have been listening over the last six or seven weeks, I'm having a load of fun recording it. It's great to to chat to to drivers and riders that I wouldn't normally speak to. Uh, difference, obviously, with you, Asher, is I do know you quite well. Um, you've been on the stage at the Paddock Show in World Superbike, uh, so you've been a you know, a massive part of, of that side of thing on the promotional side. But it, it's not easy being a young rider in the UK, is it? We've had a few guests on from, from South Africa. We've spoken to, to Stephen Odendahl and we've spoken to German Lukas Tulevich uh, a few weeks ago. And they said in starting out in the sport, it's not cheap, is it? You've got to have a lot of money to get going. And, and then the rules kind of changed. So it went from being a one, two, five, two stroke to, to Moto3. Um, and the Moto3 bike's very, very similar to what are raced in, in the World Championship. You were riding a Mahindra, but these bikes, are, they're not cheap, aren't they? You, you can't just go out and buy one for a couple of thousand. I mean, you, you've got to get a bit of budget behind you. Yeah, for instance, last year when we were on the Moto3, my bikes, well, the team's bikes were ex-Aspar Mahindra. So they were Della Porters, which we know won Moto3 World Championship two years ago, two years ago I believe, and Albert Arenas, who's actually leading the World Championship right now. So the bikes had a pedigree in there. They're not cheap, like you say. So to get started is difficult. And especially when we were up against the KCMs last year, it's everything in the racing scene is, is always going to be expensive. You've always got to have the newest of what's out to be competitive. Otherwise, 
you're never going to be anywhere near the front, really. Yeah, no, for sure. And we've seen in Moto3, you mentioned Alberto Reynas uh, and that massive crash that he had a couple of weeks ago in Jerez. He bounced back and, and, and sort of got on the podium again in um, in uh, Bruneau, wasn't it, uh, last, uh, last yeah. week? So he's leading leading the championship. But Moto3 racing, I, I mean, I we used to call the, the junior superstocks years ago sort of junior suicides. But I mean, you guys just take your brains out and it's just kind of like if there's a bit of a gap, you go for it. But I mean, it's, it's intense racing considering that you're still relatively young. Uh, I mean, I mean, how old are you? Are you 19, 20? I mean, you're still relatively well, I'm, I'm 21, but as I was racing, it was, it was 20. So 20, it's always you're, you're past it, mate. 21, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, the racing's always close and it's always super fun. I remember last year we had a, I had a very close race. Well, to be fair, 90% of the races were very close, but they're always fun, always banging bars. And it's always, it, it's really entertaining and, and it teaches a lot of racecraft, which is something that I found moving to stock 600s where people haven't necessarily been, had that close racing or, or have come from a different championship. Their racecraft can lack a little bit in some areas. Uh, not no disrespect to anyone in the class, but it's just the experience of the racecraft in Moto Three. You learn is irreplaceable. Like a, I can just see the way people. So many people are hooning it down, coming on the brakes, and they're outbreaking themselves every single time. And they then they're not getting any further down the track, or then just losing wasting time on on the track. Yeah, that's really interesting because I know when we spoke to uh, to Indy Offer, a young lad that raced in in the BSB last year in the Junior Super Sports, and you know he got a, a top six and machine problems and stuff, and he made the the brave move to go to Europe, and and he said even just in the test that he's had uh, in the current episode uh, that, that is out uh, currently episode seven of, of Room, and he was saying very very similarly. So the way that even though they're, they're the same bikes, you go to Europe and they ride completely different. Um, you know they they're carrying a lot more corner speed. They they yeah. you know, they're not braking as as hard as you would in in the UK. And mm-hmm. you know it's interesting that you say that also even in the UK, staying in the UK, just changing categories. You've also noticed that. So it's a bit of a trend, isn't it? It seems to be. Yeah, in Europe, there's more sort of a theme of to go slow. You have to you, you go fast, which is very true. You you have to sort of step back a little bit yeah. and go. Hard to explain if you wanted to get it. If I wanted to get it across better, but. You always have to entry it has to be a little little bit slower, and then the exit. And because obviously you come on the finish, especially on a lower capacity bike, you need that drive. You need to get to 100% throttle as quick as possible, otherwise you lose out. And I think in the lower capacity, even the 600s, a lower capacity bike, really, you need to understand that is a racecraft to to get fast and have a fast battle. Otherwise, you'll lose a front group or so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, no, I fully, fully agree. And, and how obviously did you get into racing? Because uh, I've seen various things on, on Facebook and on your Instagram. I mean, you're about five or something, it seems like. Your dad was like picking you up and putting you onto a 125, as it looks like. I mean, you were a tiny little yeah. uh, when you started. Yeah. What, what's the backstory of you getting into racing then? So it first started, I was once just at my dad's um, and I was watching MotoGP. It was a bad, I, I, this is only from memory, so I haven't actually seen it since. So as a six-year-old kid, this is all my memory. Um, I was watching a race between Valentino Rossi and Caparossi. Um, and instantly, when I was watching it, I was just gobsmacked, like, wow, this is crazy. And I, I want to do this. And I always just brought up to my dad, really want to do this. And then eventually Christmas came along a year after or something like that. And he bought me and my sister a little motocross bike, which was, it, was, it wasn't a PB50, but it was a Chinese version. Um, bought us all the so, kit. So father, so father Christmas, just for the little kids that are listening, Father yeah. Christmas brought you a bike, 
Yeah, Father Christmas brought me a bike. <laughs> Fantastic. And that that day we went to um, a field, me and my sister, and then she rode it. She rode it first, and I was like, it it, it dawned on me. Oh no, I've got to ride that now. <laughs> I've wanted to do it so long. I've actually got to do it. And then she looked good from what I was looking at. I was like, I've got to be faster than her. So as soon as I got on the bike. I went 100% throttle straight away. It chucked me off. Um, and then I was there on the floor. My balls hit the tank. And I was um, I was there crying as this little seven-year-old seven on the floor. Oh, and then I, obviously that was my first experience. I didn't touch a bike for another, um, I think it was two months until I actually bought the courage to actually ride again. And then from there, it just, everything developed. And I went through motocross for a couple of years and then went into the mini motos mini GPs, fab racing, and then British 125s and all that sort of route afterward. But that was where it first started and began. The journey began. That's a great story. That's a great story. I can just imagine you now as a little seven-year-old sat there nursing, <laughs> nursing yeah. your, uh, your, your man parts, crying your eyes out. Yeah. And, then like, and then just like, that's it. I'm not going near a bike. I mean, I bet Santa, yeah. was, I bet Santa was livid. I think I've just bought yeah. a bike. Is that what you did? <laughs> I just yeah. got you a new bike. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. funny. Um, obviously, I'm going to come on to this subject a little bit. I don't want to get too political. I don't, and we've, we've talked to a, to, a, to a black racer from, from South Africa. And he's given his take on the whole uh, current situation, um, which, you know, I think is, is a relevant topic to, to talk about. As I said, I'm happy to touch on it. I don't want to drag on and be all political. But, you know, for those that, that don't know, Asher is a, is a black racer, one of very few black racers, if not the only black racer in, in the British Championship. What's been your experience getting into the sport, being a, a black racer, and also what, what's the reception been like in, in BSB? Has it been quite welcoming? Have you had any negative stories or ne negative impacts, obviously just based on, on the colour of your skin? Which, I mean, if you have, it's bloody outrageous, but, you know. Um, it's yeah, it, it's something that you come across. I tend to try and brush it off a lot with anything that does happen. In the race paddock, we're all sort of majoritively our family base that like we all we've grown up together but there always is hints of it everywhere and even whether it's ignorance to to the color of my skin or it's just a lot of it's lack of education where it's people haven't um been brought up in a what's the word racially diverse area and yeah. then it comes across in just the language or even just things that happen um sometimes people are ignorant of the words they say sometimes they're ignorant with the actions they say but it's something that um as a black person you you brush off and then when something happens like it has in lockdown it sort of makes you realize the importance of almost not brushing it off in a sense and actually yeah, understanding yeah. oh this isn't right and whatnot so there is things that happen in as, that are different as a black race and being the only one it's also it's frustrating, especially when things happen in the paddock. Um, can you can you give me any examples? Are we talking? I mean, I hope we're not talking physical abuse, but are we talking no, not verbal abuse not or what are we talking? Verbal, verbal. But it's, it is it is minute in the paddock. Paddock. Yeah. Let me say that. I mean, all the organisers, nothing like that with the organisers. Everyone yeah, runs uh, British Youth Bike. Stuart Higgs does an amazing job and whatnot. Um, and there isn't on that side anything, but there is. There's small bits. Like I don't. I can't. I can't really give any 
examples really no, 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 exactly and I'm, not, I'm not asking you to name people that have said absolutely not absolutely not i'm just interested to yeah. know because um, w- when we spoke to, to temba tumala uh, kamala uh, in south africa he was saying that you know he his opinion was that especially in south africa um it wasn't so prevalent in terms of racial or any kind of discrimination uh within the palace and that he'd actually been able to use his skin color in a positive way um, to actually say, well, look, I'm, I'm the only black guy, so that's the reason that you should sponsor me, you know, kind of thing. So from a sponsor, there is also that side of it as well. That 100, there is also that side that you can sort of use as a, it's a unique thing to to play off that there isn't, or there isn't any. But what is good though that I've seen in the British Talent Cup at the minute, there is, I've seen a handful of black or people from a different ethnic minority minority background that have been. I think that was four or five. Five riders in the talent cup, which is really good to see because obviously, yeah. growing up as being the only black guy in the paddock, people don't understand. Whereas now, it's actually it's a lot nicer to see for, for myself. But yeah, yeah, yeah no, I think it, I think it's. I mean, I find the whole topic quite quite interesting. I mean, I don't have a, a discriminatory bone in, in my body. I couldn't care whether you're you know black, white, yeah. pink, whatever, whatever orientation. It doesn't bother me. You know, what each to their own. And, and, and if you want to go racing, go racing. It's the same when when people were talking about Anna Carrasco and, and racing and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- why shouldn't a female go racing? You know, for me, let's. Yeah. It, it shouldn't make any yeah. difference. Um, why do you think though that there are so few black racers or black drivers? If you know, take Lewis Hamilton as an example with with the stand that he's um, taking in, in Formula One and trying to unite the whole paddock. You know, wh- wh- why do you think there are less black or less races from from sort of ethnic backgrounds is it just because sort of historically they're, they're not interested in the sport or, or do you actually see it as a that there are blocks and things put in place to to prevent you from from racing that is something i don't know to be honest with you i can't i couldn't answer why there isn't um but i would like to see see more but it's also good when you see someone like lewis hamilton it's a he's a big role model of mine obviously it's not uh motorcycle racing it's um cars the car world the f1 world um but yeah the, i don't really know why there isn't um more black racers to be honest with you i think that, that there should be and i think it's happening like like i say i've, I've seen a few and i think it is it's happening and yeah, i think no, it's I think, neat. So. I think we've seen also in um, like in nascar and things like that as well isn't there there is more um, yeah. you know more more black drivers and black it does, as, as time goes on it's becoming more and more accessible for a wider range of people to to become to come into motorsport but it is always financially hard so it has to be people with a usually with a bigger bigger wallet that that tends to to come in yeah and i think i think the point that you make there about the finance is i think that doesn't matter what whether you're yeah. man or a woman whether you're black white whatever it's it, that's irrelevant right i mean you, you whatever yeah. your race is you, you're going to want money or you're going to need money if you want to succeed and it's a shame really isn't it when you think about it that you know years ago riders pretty much all of the grids they'd be getting paid to race where now it's kind of the other way around like we see riders even in the world championship uh you know sandro cortese for example when he won the world championship randy krumenacker when he won the world championship they're having to raise so much money in sponsors and they're using a proportion of that money that they get from sponsors to then pay the team. It, it's it's not. It didn't used to be like that. It's quite strange. I find the whole thing quite bizarre, especially when you look at how much footballers get paid for kicking a bit of leather around. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot more risk involved compared to football, but it's it's not the best thing. But we all do it because we love it, and if we're able to do it, we we 
we make it happen. So I, I'm personally quite lucky for the past few years. I've had a very good sponsor, which is Miracleize. They've put me in a path which I can't thank them enough for. So, But before that, my dad did run out of money in 2015 and things took a turn. And then luckily, the way the path chose for me to go, it went the way it did. So even myself, I'm lucky to be here racing still. So yeah, it no, is. A I think, yeah, it's, it's good what you say. Obviously, I remember seeing the micro eyes and the bikes, especially in the Moto3, was one of the nicest color schemes out there. So, again, if you're a commentator or a presenter like me, you want to be able to spot the bike. You know what I mean? You want to know yeah. who you're talking about. And, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a nice story what you say with them because they've, even though you've changed paths and you've moved on to the 600, they've stuck with you. It's kind of like they want to come on the journey with you, which I think is really nice. I think that's a really cool story. Yeah, it, it's quite funny the story how it actually happened. I was. So this is in 2016. I was with my team bus and we were um, doing driveways and I parked my moped, my little 50cc moped. I parked it outside and then someone in a Range Rover opposite the road reverses their car and hits my moped onto the floor. She's all like apologetic. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. And then John, my team bus, is like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm a bit annoyed, obviously. It's my moped. It's my pride and joy. It's getting me to from A to B. And then she says that her husband will come around to sort it out in a little bit. So anyway, a couple of days pass. This, ma- this said man comes over to us and, and says about the moped and then says he's moving house and he wants um, some landscape work that, that my team bus does. And he says, is it okay? And then we just start talking. We just start talking. He ends up telling us about his business, which is Microlize. Um, and then we have a few more conversations and then all of a sudden he's our title sponsor for the team and we go racing wow. with him and it, it's like, and then it hasn't stopped. The journey's still, still together. It's, it's quite crazy how, how it sort of went from that sort of incident to what it is today. No, that's pretty cool. Did, did they replace your moped, more importantly? No, I actually, I actually gave it to his son after... Um, after I was done with it and it was just collecting dust, his son turned 16. So I actually ended up giving it to his son. So he, he's got it now. Uh, you, you're, all, you're all heart, you, aren't you? You're all heart. Yeah. <laughs> I am, man. You are, mate. You are. What, what do you make of, um, you know, coming back to the racing side of things? And we've still got sort yeah. of 10, 10 minutes or so to, to keep chatting. Um, what do you make of, of the championships this year from, from MotoGP to, to Superbikes? I mean, we're seeing predominantly races in Europe. Um, which I think is is unfortunate. But what, what's your view on on the whole no spectators and, and races being cancelled overseas? I mean, my my view is I'm you know I'm gutted not to be going to some of these countries that we normally go to. I'm quite privileged with the job that I've got. But if it means we can only go five races in Spain, one in France, and one in Italy, I'd much rather that than be just sat looking at the four walls in London. You know, I'd rather still be going racing. Yeah. But, it's, but it's difficult exactly. for the organisers, isn't it? I mean, you see even today, the Suzuka 8-hour race has just been cancelled. And, you know, people say, oh, but Brit- British Superbikes, they're still racing at, um, at Donington. Why can't we have World Superbikes there? Why is the British Grand Prix at Silverstone being cancelled? But the logistics and, and the effort that it takes to move these World Championship teams around, I mean, in MotoGP, I think you've got more than 20 nationalities, probably 15, 16 nationalities in, in World Superbike. It's not just as easy as just getting on a boat and driving a truck across the channel, is it? It's, it's so difficult and complex with everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly. If it means we can go racing, I'm up for it. And to be honest with you, so far this year, the the racing's proved to be still fun. Like, even though MotoGP have been doing their back-to-backs at Jerez and whatnot, 
it was some of the best racing I've ever seen personally. We had obviously we had the same winner both times in Harass, but the rest of the pack, the rest of the pack was completely different. There was so much drama. Obviously, Marquez happened with Marquez, happened with Marquez. Um, and then last weekend out in Czech Republic, you had Brad Binder winning. So I think the 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 calendar is still proving to be exciting. Whether it, I don't think it really matters um, on how they do it, as long as it's as long as people are going racing and they're still making a, a championship year out of 2020. I think that's the main thing. That's their main goal, and I think they're doing it as well as they possibly can. Yeah, f- fully agree. Absolutely, fully agree. And, and that point that you mentioned for Brad Binder, the first South African ever to win in the Premier Class. I mean, um, I mean, he's just in his he's just season. a national hero overnight, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think his price has gone up. His price is very steep at the minute because that is, it's a big achievement to do, especially on the KTM. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, like, obviously, you know me from, from my job in, in World Superbikes and I do like a statistic. And, and I said to somebody, that's so strange, isn't it? I said, um, Brad Binder was dead last. He was the last in the test in, in Valencia. And this, this yeah. journalist looked at me, but no, he wasn't. I went, Brad Binder was the slowest. The first time he rode the bike, he was the slowest yeah. in Valencia. And then three races into the season, he wins his first race. It's yeah. unbelievable that the turnaround... You couldn't fight it if you wanted to, could you? you no, really I mean, it, absolutely. You couldn't. You couldn't. But, I mean, it, it probably just proves, again, that sometimes you've just got to be in the right place at the right time. You know, if you look yeah. at Z- Zarco, for example, you know, he walked away mm-hmm. from that bike, couldn't ride it. And now it's a Grand Prix yeah. winner with a rookie. I mean, it's it's an incredible story. Yeah, and it's quite funny that Zarco was still on that same podium as Binder as well in third position on a Ducati, on a year-old Ducati as well. It's yeah. quite... Quite crazy. It's one of those yeah, weird... I'll tell you what was even more crazy was his penalty lap. I put it on my Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, perfect penalty. Yeah. And everyone started attacking me going, he didn't deserve the penalty. And I was like, no, no I'm not saying he deserved the penalty. I'm saying the way yeah, he did the penalty. I mean, the way was... that he did it was perfect. Inch, millimeter perfect. It was crazy good. Yeah. No, I've never, and I don't, I don't think I'll ever see a better um, long lap penalty than that. It was so good. Yeah, it was. And how was the, the BSB round? Let's come back to, to your racing. Obviously, you've moved into the Superstock class. You've got your first championship point on the board. So even with the limited testing, yeah. hasn't slowed you down. That's got to be a massive confidence boost uh, for the next round at Snetterton, I think it is, isn't it, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But what was, it like, what was it like racing with no fans? Obviously, I was in, uh, in Portugal and Spain and, and, and know what it's like there wearing the mask the whole day through and limited on when you can go in certain areas. But obviously, I wasn't at uh, Donington. I wasn't in the paddock. But what was it like as a rider in BSB, I mean, obviously, was watched a lot on the TV. I think the TV viewing figures were fantastic. But, but as a rider in the paddock, what was it like? It to, personally for me, whilst I'm in the paddock, it wasn't overly different. Apart from for the for the start of the weekend from Thursday till Saturday, it wasn't super different to me. Sundays normally when I've got there's the, the fans really really flood in and you really notice it. And on the race and on the start grid, there's no one to, no one really around or when you're on your outlaps or inlaps, you don't see as many people. But when you're racing, you're very focused. And I, I didn't, whilst I was riding, it didn't it didn't affect me because you you only hear the bike really, and you're focused on what you're doing and the job at hand. So it was just after and before riding, you could sort of feel the the different atmosphere. And it it's not the nicest. It's not as much. It's, it takes away a little bit from from what you get, and you on Sunday you're trying to get to the toilet, and there's paddocks for, and you can't move anywhere, and you're like, oh no, where am I going, and whatnot. But it's it's something that we've got to get used to a little bit, and and adjust to, and understand that it is what it is. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And it comes back to what you said earlier, you know, Stuart Higgs does a great job with, with BSP yeah. and you know, the fact is that you've got a championship and, you know, from a superbike point of view, again, it was cracking race and I've watched it back uh, recently. And, you know, you've, as you said about the, the racing in, in GP, same in superbikes, Scott Redding's won races now. So as you know, I think we've had four, four different winners in world superbikes, nine different podium uh, finishes or seven podium finishes, you know, so I think it's, it's certainly going to spring, spring some surprises and, uh, and BSB was no different. Was it the Honda got its first win? Well, first and second, yeah. they got the double. And it, then... got, it got a win in Superstock 1000 as well. It got a win in Superstock 1000 and, got, and it got two wins in BSB. So it was impressive first weekend for, for Honda. Yeah, it was. And then obviously, uh, unfortunately for Andrew Irwin, he got involved again in, in some controversy. And what, what's your opinion on mm. that then? Uh, since everyone's To be honest with you, on... personally, it's a racing incident. From, from my perspective, it was a racing incident. But... The fact that he's had incidents last year twice, it doesn't. It it makes it a little bit harder to to judge him differently from the rest of the paddock because he's had incidents where it was his fault. He's admitted to it before in the past, and he's always been known as a as a hard rider. So I think that's where it's come from. Um, but personally, watching it, I don't think it was it was worth a penalty. But I do understand it at the same time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, people asking me on Twitch, and I'm like, oh, I don't have to make the decision. I'm not going to comment. But I'm, yeah. kind, I'm kind of with you, you know, and, and Andrew's head, you know, he's, he's held his hands up in the past. and said, hey, look, we're all human. I've gone for gaps, and it hasn't worked. I mean, I think it was Scott Redding yeah. wasn't it at Cadwell that he, that he, that he yeah. fouls. You know, mistakes yeah. happen. You know, I'm, I'm sure anybody that races can, can, can say that and that can make mistakes. But I, I think you're right. I mean, they're looking at it possibly as... It's not just an isolated incident. And, and do, you, do you think also, <laughs> I mean, it's a difficult call, isn't it? Because... On one on one side of the fence, if Stewart and the sort of the the guys say there's no penalty, there'll be equally as many people saying there should have been. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. he, can't, he can't really win Stewart, can he? He's in that, that position where if he gives a penalty, he's going to get everyone cursing him because he's given a yeah. penalty. And if he doesn't give there's a penalty, no, he can never win out of this situation. Yeah. Really, he no, just no, has to I do what. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I think. I mean, you, you obviously you know from from the championship and racing. That Stewart is a very is very fair, isn't he? He seems to come across very fair, certainly in what you yeah. see when he comes across on TV. And... He is he he is a very very fair. I mean, sometimes it can be annoying when it's not when it doesn't go your way in certain situations. But it he tries to be fair and he's fair with every person in the paddock. He's not biased towards anyone or unbiased. So yeah, I, that's a good. Point. Yeah, I was going to say, because we've seen that in the past when it's been like with jump starts and things, wasn't it, where he's let people off and then some people have got a jump start. But if you look back historically, he's actually given mm -hmm. the same reasons, very consistent reasons, which is what mm -hmm. you need from a championship director, isn't it? You need someone that's going to say, look, right, I understand that we're all racing. These things can happen. But if you do this, this and this, this is the outcome. And it doesn't matter whether you're the guy at the top or you're the guy that's barely qualifying. You know, it's, it's consistent. Yeah. That's, that's the important thing. 100%. 100%. So what does uh, what does a twenty twenty one hold for for Asher Durham then? Uh, because obviously we're coming towards the end of the the time that we've we've got, and obviously thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you, and I'm sure that people listening have, have thoroughly enjoyed getting a bit of an insight into into how you got into racing and things. But twenty twenty obviously is going to run. You've got a few more races to go this year before yep. the end of the season. Have you started thinking about twenty twenty one? Well, obviously this year I'm riding with uh, Affinity Academy, which is part of Haslam's team. Um, in the stock 600s and it's it's a new venture for me so it's sort of finding my feet here before I'm, I I think of what what 2021 holds because I've thought about 
a few different options and directions where I could go, but it's not something that I'm trying to stress myself about. And it's not something I've um, made solid plans for yet. I'll just see how this year goes, try and get some good results. And I need to start working my way towards the front where I know I belong again um, before I can really start talking to people, really, or before I want to be talking to people because it's always a strong factor when you're being successful in the current championship you're in to be talking to someone. They always listen a lot more when they see you at the front of the, the championship or as front of races and winning races. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. The team, the team for me is, is, a, is a breath of fresh air in some ways because I was originally going to start the championship with with Michael Eyes again on the on the 600 and it was a new venture for them so it was quite a, a new new thing for both of us whereas this team this new team holds a lot more experience on these types of bikes and there's some, some more mentoring to for me to improve myself and suit more to this bike and we've obviously got a short championship so it will make me evolve a lot faster than and I need to do that really. Yeah, and I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad that you've mentioned that because that was going to be my, my last question. Obviously, I know Leon uh, really well. Um, Leon Haslam, obviously, we're talking about currently in, in World Superbike with, with Honda uh, alongside Alvaro Bautista. But uh, he's involved with this academy and it was a bit of a, a late call up for you to get involved with them. But what an opportunity, mate, Like especially with someone exactly. with so much experience like Leon. I mean, he's rode for more manufacturers in World Superbike than anybody. Um, and and it's and still fast. I mean, had he not crashed in uh, in Portimao in that third race on, on Sunday, I think he could have been fourth or fifth. I mean, he was definitely in the mix. So, um, I mean, what a great opportunity for you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was a little bit of a... I had to step back a little bit because <laughs> I, I got a phone call and I was like, oh, really? Like, it was a little... And I was like, actually, at work when, when I got the phone call. So it was a little bit of a... Um, big news for me and it's, I'm really excited about it and to be honest the, the team's super, really great the first weekend of being with them was really great I mean we need to find a, a different direction with the the bikes set up but the team are working hard I'm working hard and and we'll I, I, I believe them and I know that we will find find something that will that will be, make me be able to get to the front really yeah, and how, how much involvement has Leon got then? Because obviously with this coronavirus, I know Leon's obviously basing himself out in Spain for the majority of the season. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, he's he's on hand if you need for, for advice, I guess. Yeah, he's always on hand with advice. Even when he was in Portimao, he was always on the end of the phone when needed or what, and whatnot. So he's always there, even though when, he's, when he can't make the track, he will still be there by, I mean... We're we're in the twenty first century. I mean, it's quite easy to get hold of people nowadays, so that's always a bonus. But he is coming. I think he is coming coming to Snetterton, I believe. So there's always when he can, he'll be there. But he's, he still has a very big involvement in the team and overlooks everything. No, that's mega. That's that's good. Well, uh, obviously, thank you for for taking the time to chat, and uh, obviously, maybe give yourself a, a bit of a plug if people want to follow follow you for the rest of the season yeah. for the future how can they how can they follow you on on twitter and, and instagram okay so on instagram it's asher.64 so that's asher.64 and then on twitter it's asher d64 and then i also do have a facebook page which is asher durham 64 as you can tell there's a theme with the 64 but yeah that's me that's where to find me yeah, I was going to say, it'd be a bit of a nightmare if your racing number was 23, Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I'm scared if that, if that ever happens because I have seen more 64s creep up here and there in different championships. I'm like, I hope I don't, we don't clash at some point. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it always, even, even when I can't be or if I can't be, it will still be somewhere. I'll still incorporate it in myself somehow.
Yeah, well, why, why 64? Just before, uh, just before we end, why, why 64? That's quite a strange well, choice of a number. Since it was Rossi, Rossi's my hero. Um, and that's where, what, what brought me into racing and made me want to, my first vision of, of motorcycle racing. Ah, so, so then basically you just reversed the number, basically. Literally, literally. So I've always, in motocross, I wasn't always 64. I just had to have, I had a six or a four in my numbers. It was like 42, I believe, number four. And it changed a little bit. But as soon as I went on to mini motors and road racing, it's always been 64. It hasn't changed once, so... That's and great. I hope it long may it continue. Well, there you go. So for those listeners uh, <laughs> in the Superstock 600 Championship, uh, which runs alongside uh, British Superbikes, and they'll be back in action at Snetterton 300 in a couple of weeks' time. So, uh, Asher, thanks for joining us, and good luck for the rest Thank of the season. Thank you. See you later, mate. Thank you. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Okay, well, up next is an interviewee that I am super excited to be talking to again, uh, Valerie Thompson, a name that some of you uh, in the road racing world may not be familiar with. But uh, let me do a quick introduction uh, to, to Valerie and, uh, and embarrass her a little bit. I'm doing this recording on a <laughs> Zoom call, so I, can, I get to see all the facial expressions. So uh, uh, obviously you guys don't get to see that. But, uh, but Valerie is the fastest female ever on a motorcycle, uh, eight times uh, a land speed record holder. Uh, and she's also attempting something, which I'm sure she'll talk about very, very soon, uh, attempting to become the first person uh, ever, if I've got this right, to achieve 500 miles an hour um, on two and four wheels. I mean, I think that's just completely bonkers, completely crazy. Uh, <laughs> Only on four wheels. <laughs> Only on four wheels. I was going to say, if you're doing 500 miles an hour on two wheels, that's, uh, that's scary. But, uh, but Valerie, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, I know that we did briefly meet. Uh, about three or four years ago at the World Superbike event at uh, Laguna Seca. And it was, a, it was a pleasure to to speak to you on the paddock show then. And and I've kept in touch. And uh, and when the podcast opportunity came up, I thought, you know what, we've, we've got to reach out. We've got to get you on on the podcast because I think the story, your story is, is fantastic. Thank uh, you. And I think there's so many, so many different angles to, to talk about. But first and foremost, how are you? Are you well? I'm doing well. I, I am in, um, healthy and happy and um, just wish we could all go racing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare, as I say, for, for the American listeners uh, that are following the American Championship. I should have been over there at least six times already this year for Moto America and uh, coronavirus has, has played havoc uh, with, with the racing. It's also really played havoc with your attempts uh, in various Absolutely. records that you're looking to set. I can see various things on your website now pushed back to 2021. I mean, Yes. It's not ideal, but we're rescheduling everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're as you said, the main thing is that we're, 
that we're healthy, right? That's the main thing. The main thing. You know, we're all healthy and happy, but you know, we're we're happy that we have another opportunity to uh, go about another full year of racing, and that would be hopefully. So yeah, yeah, we we got to learn that we couldn't go to Australia the day before we were set to fly out because of we were going to be on coronavirus uh, lockdown for fourteen days, and I was like, uh, I guess. Uh, that means we will miss the event because we'll be on 14 quarantine before we can get to the racetrack, which is extremely difficult to get there because in Australia, South Australia, it's very hard to get to the Bonneville Salt Flats, or it's not the Bonneville, but it's a Lake Gardner. And uh, it's it's tremendously, you know, in the outback. So you have to prepare, you have to plan, you have to strategize, you know, food, water, you know, and, and to be a racer, you know, we, we, we eat good meals, you know, a good healthy meals. So that's a little difficult uh, being in the outback to do so. Wow. Well, let's, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I've got a few notes that I've written down. You probably remember from, from Laguna when I met you. I do like a statistic. So I've been, once you, once you agreed to do the podcast, I was buried in Wikipedia and going through all these things. I think I've got this right. That the fastest speed that you've recorded on two wheels, which I just think is phenomenal, 328.467 miles an hour, not kilometers an hour. I you would add that point in, because that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I know it, it definitely does. But just to put this, again, obviously coming from the UK, we do everything in miles an hour. Um, and I was just wanting to be sure, this is not kilometers an hour. This is 328.467 miles an hour. Yes. Wow. And, and um, the... Kilometers, uh, I, I will say, is because I have it on the autograph card because I, I do a lot of international um, speaking engagements and I do a lot of racing in Australia. So that would be 528.616 kilometers. Wow. I mean, that's not far away from half of the sound, is it? I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, and again, I, I'm getting all these images on camera of these amazing little um, poster cards and things, which is, which is great. But I mean, that's... That, that speed, Valerie, is, is, is not far away from sort of half of the speed of sound, is it? I mean, it's a long time since I went to school, but it, that, that's, let's just it's, say it's bloody fast. It's, it's bloody fast, yes. And uh, when we did do the 328 miles per hour and some change, um, uh, I was only in third gear, only running on three cylinders, and everything in the cockpit was, you know, happening. You know, my, my lid on my... Uh, uh, shield the the you know where they strap me and seal me in the little lock came up or it came unlocked it didn't come it came unlocked just a little little latch um you know my speedometer was all out of whack I couldn't tell what gear I was in and we have really really long gears we only have four gears in this motorcycle and so you know the 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 gearing started uh, you know, what gear I was in started shifting away, you know, and my shifter fell down, like everything in the mother nature could happen. It was so rough and bumpy and I was hitting my head because I only have a few inches from the top of my helmet to the bar. And, you know, when you have your vision distorted from hitting your head helmet, it really knocks your eyeballs out of shape a little bit. So wow. I I, I fought for that run and I earned that run and I earned the 328 mile per hour run and we were the fastest on the motorcycle there. And, um, you know, we want to be the, the world's fastest motorcycle, which is held by Rocky Robinson. 
Um, he's the driver and he's been, he set a world record of uh, 376 miles per hour. And, uh, and when I, and well, we haven't got to that part yet, but when I did crash in Australia in 2018, I was going 363 miles per hour and I hadn't even reached the one mile marker, the one mile marker measured mile mark where they time you officially. It was before the mile that they clock you at. So you just get, you know, it's a, it's an 11 mile course. You get six miles, seven miles of speed up and then they time you for one mile. Um, and then you have about three, four miles to slow down. You know, we have a couple of parachutes and, you know, I have really small breaks. So <laughs> wow. I depend on those parachutes more than anything, you know, and, um, I, you know, as a motorcycle racer on a sit-on bike, and I have done on my BMW S1000RR, I've done 217 miles per hour in a stop standing one mile course. And, um, and so that was a, a, a nice little feather under my cap. You know, that's kind of what really put me on the map for racing that BMW was really that, you know, records that I set um, on the BMW. And it's just an extremely fast, fun bike. And I had so much fun, but, you know, without knowing it really prepped me for doing what I do now. So, but when you get into a streamliner motorcycle, which my motorcycle is 25 feet long, I don't, I can't, when you lean, you know, and, and you feel the wind, you know, on a sit-on bike, that's all great. You can feel it. You can lean into it. You can lean the opposite. You know, you can make yourself straight. Well, when you're in a enclosed cockpit, it's like you throw everything out of what you know about being on a sit-on race bike. You know, you just throw it out the window because all that doesn't matter anymore because you're on joysticks and there are two, two different opposite sticks. They're, you know, each hand far apart and you have to balance you know, you can't lean like and lean with your feet into the run or, you know, into the wind or if you want to turn. Well, we don't turn, so we just go straight. But, you know, you have to depend on your whole entire concentration. You have to depend on your horizon, your target. And um, I'm getting chills <laughs> just talking. I mean, I'm, I'm just sat here quiet and probably all of the listeners are probably thinking Michael's what the, normally talks at least as much as the guest. And I'm just sat here mouth aghast going, I can't believe what I'm listening to. I mean, it's six miles to speed up. You get timed for a mile. Then these parachutes come out like you're on a space shuttle. And then when the parachutes come out, you, you feel the G-force coming you know, uh, at just, you. I don't go into my run with G-force whatsoever because it's not drag racing. We're not like quarter mile, full throttle, dump the clutch and go through your gears. I am like, I, I take my daisy time, <laughs> Miss Daisy. <laughs> you can call me Miss Valerie though. Um, I take my little, I don't take my time getting up to speed whatsoever, but you know, it's more of a graceful finessing that throttle. It's a, actually a foot throttle, you know, but I do steer with, um, some fighter pilot joysticks is what I have in the cockpit on the motorcycle. Wow, so very unique design, very, very, uh, you know, designed by John Jans and Dennis Manning and the rest of our Bub Streamliner team that they built that bike for safety and speed and they've proven both. <laughs> wow. I just, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you mentioned the BMW S1000RR, which obviously is raced in, in world superbikes and, and they are getting up yes. towards the 200 miles an hour on, on a road course, um, but nearly 218 miles an hour 
uh, in a straight line. I, I mean, I just oh. want to kind of backtrack a little bit. I just yes. want to sort of, and I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to come out, because again, the things that you're saying, I'm just, my brain is, is not computing it, but why? I mean, why, why do you do this? I mean, it just sounds, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I've seen some of the videos on your website and we'll talk about the film that's coming out and, and there's so many things I want to talk about, but I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the incident that you had and you've crashed at 360 miles an hour. I mean, without putting too fine a point on it, I mean, you could lose your life doing this, right? I mean, this Absolutely. is, this is it, seriously. Yes. This oh. is a serious, um, you know, it, I, I, it's all about, it, you know, it's all about speed, but it's really all about safety, you know, and I survived that motorcycle in that crash with that motorcycle in the cockpit and, um incredible build you know we have a monaco cockpit you know we don't have a a frame per se we do have a little frame around the headpiece but you know it's a monaco cockpit you know it's it's proven and i proved it that it was substantially well worth not worth but well um took care of that crash to keep me alive that's but, insane. Um, it's insane. But how, how did you actually get into it then, Val, Valerie? How did well, you actually get you know, into I've it? been building up my speed. And like I said, the BMW was the bike that really took me from one level to the next level. And, um, you know, I was a, a, a drag racer um, and I've, I, I used to drag race for I had some really great years in drag racing. And in my second year of drag racing, I was number three in the nation. And it's only seven points away from, you know, number one championship in the Western division back when I first started. And I thought, man, if I can do that, why not go to the NHRA? Because I wanted to drive, I wanted to race a pro stop motorcycle. And well, I sure did. I went and got it. And then I quickly got sponsors. I quickly lost my sponsors because we had the economy crash. And my life has never been the same. But when I picked up that BMW, a local um, friend of mine, he's a former road racer, Kerry Alter. He he um, called me out of the blue and said, hey, do you want to ride my BMW motorcycle S1000RR? And I'm like at the Salt Flats. Do you want to go 200? I was like, I've always wanted to go 200. You know, it was a goal. You know, I'm married now and I told my husband I'll retire at 200. Then I said 300. Now I say 400. <laughs> Well, I don't say 500, but I wouldn't mind getting some change out of the 500. <laughs> what, what does your husband think about it? Because it's not its not your conventional career choice, is it? You know, it's... Right. Uh, it kind of just fell into being a conventional uh, or just, you know, a, a, a career. You know, I mean, you know, we have a very limited... Um, there's only three places in the world to even race at the Bonneville, like a Bonneville Salt Flats. You know, we have Bolivia... We have Australia and we have here in Utah at the Bonneville Salt Flats. And, um, you know, so it's a very unique and it takes very unique people to want to do this. <laughs> but there's so many people that are so talented that have the creativeness and they put it to, you know, to the pencil, to the paper, to an action and doing. And they produce amazing things. And then they get to go race it. And, you know, to be in the Bonneville 200 mile per hour club membership, you know, it's a very, very hard club to get into. It's like Tiger Woods winning the green jacket or, you know, the, the golfers winning the green jacket. You just, 
you kind of back it up. You, you have to do it twice and you have to do it within two hours. You know, there's just a lot of the rules and we race with the FIM um, and the AMA, uh, you know, road racing um, association. So uh, that's our series that we race in. So you know how they are. <laughs> and how is it? How how <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. How, how have you been received by the male races, because obviously we've seen now in the road racing world, Anna Carrasco, she's a world champion on, on the road courses. Uh, and now yeah. it's just a given, you know, that she races and she's fast and, and she's earned her stripes as it were. And, and that's all good. But, you know, have you come across any adversity or any negativity when you first started? Oh, gosh, there, there, there's been so much of that. You know, you're, us females were put under a microscope. And you probably know that, <laughs> you know, my, my skin is definitely tough. <laughs> um, that's why I have good lotion to soften it when I'm at home. <laughs> but this sport has really taught me. I mean, I've been, you know, like bullied. I've been in my adult life. I've been, you know, I go, I went through what your average person of a racer probably won't go through, but I've got a story. <laughs> wow. But, you know, the sport has really definitely changed and developed emotional uh, taught me about a lot who I am. It's brought my confidence up so high. And, you know, I mean, if a guy can do it, I can do it, but I'm just going to try to do it better. <laughs> I don't want to be too cocky or anything or, or, or come across that way. But, you know, when you're, I was always told that I couldn't race. I, I couldn't be a racer. I'm not going to be good enough because I didn't have the background. I didn't have the family background. I didn't have the support you know from men that were coming that i was coming into a racetrack what really got me racing was i have a 2000 the year 2000 harley davidson fat boy and i was racing up against men that had these chopper bikes and these you know fifty thousand dollar bikes you know that had great motors well my little fat boy was a little firecracker <laughs> and i'm not telling i'll tell you i would race them on the street and so we would street race you know like from light to light to restaurant to restaurant and and they kept trying to step me all in the back and i'm like i don't go in the back i learned from my washington friends where i was born and raised in seattle tacoma washington I don't go in the back, you know, I mean, I went in the back with them, but I wheedled up in the front. I don't like him being in the backpack and no road racer wants to be in the back. That's so, <laughs> so cool. That's so cool. I, I, um, the, one of the gentlemen's told me my a friend and he owns a Harley David or he owns a, a shop here locally. And he goes, Valerie, you're out of control. Take it to the racetrack. And that's what really started my career of, drag racing on the street per se. And, you know, I never got tickets. I never was really like hundred miles per hour out of control, <laughs> you know, maybe just, you know, playing like I am at a light, you know, like a Christmas tree for drag racing. I was just kind of along <laughs> with it and <laughs> I would leave the light so quick. I would be like, yeah, yeah. But I took it to the racetrack. I did hot laps and I fell in love with the racetrack and I never looked back. And that's what brought me, to where I'm at now. And that's where the criticism came. Like, you can't do that. You don't know anything about it. I was like, you're right, I don't. So I went to drag racing schools. I went to the George Bryce drag racing school. I even, so when I started racing the, the BMW, I even went to the Keith Cole um, Superbike school. I took for. Oh, a yeah, I remember years. that. Yeah, we talked about and that. At, uh, at I, 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 I remember. I, I wanted to know instead of going straight, 
and you know, I just know my machine is going straight. I know it's a, such an incredible bike and the, I see the road racers on the BMW. It's like amazing. And I was like, I want to learn how to really, I want more. I want more out of this bike to learn. I want to learn more about my machine. And when they said go in third gear and no downshifting and no, uh, the speedo was covered up <laughs> and no brakes. I was like freaked out because in a Harley world, you are in third gear and you're going around a corner and you're going 30 miles per hour. Um, you're you're gonna choke <laughs> right yeah no for sure and I, I remember you actually talking about the um the keith code school when you came to to the world superbikes is yeah. that's kind of one of my questions is have you ever thought about moving away from the discipline you're in and actually maybe entering a, a moto america race or something no. And just, I, no? I no because well you know yeah if you get all around you know and you go to this and you do this it's just best to really when you're at the level where I'm at now, I feel is that why hurt yourself somewhere else when you have your, I just want to stay focused. I want to do something what I'm good at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I add a little bit of, you know, extra wheels or, okay, so now I'm racing four wheels too. So that's like, okay, I can't do a super bike. You know, I can't, I'm not that qualified first of all, but um, I'm terrified about going fast around a corner and put my knee down. <laughs> but but you'll quite happily try to do 500 miles an hour on four wheels and oh, 376 miles an hour on a bike. I mean, <laughs> my God, it's crazy. You mentioned that obviously the, the, the four wheels and, and coming into the, the car world. Um, t- tell us about that because that's also um, a new challenge for you. But I mean, if you do achieve this, the 376 on the two wheels and the 500 on four wheels, nobody on the planet has ever achieved that. I mean, that would be something insane to, you know, to, to uh, achieve. Let, yes, let, let me just correct that little mile per hour. Uh, the motorcycle is 376 and the the um, car record, the world FIA car record that in my class um, that I'm going for right now still stands at, at 415 miles per hour. Okay. okay. But I, in the FIA, a, no, FIM. I got, uh, no, FIA. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> FIA is cool. automobile. FIM is motorcycle. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I made one little error earlier in my um, talk about the FIM. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> so right. FIA is automobile. Uh, and so um, I have to go surpass 1% of that 415 miles per hour. Oh, okay. So, so I mean, if you but I mean, if you do hit the five hundred, I mean, then definitely no one's do. ever done that. I mean, that's insane. Uh, right in this class, yes. And yeah. so, um, although my one of my competitors that just broke the record, they're called the Speed Demon Seven One Five. They're on Facebook, Instagram, and all that. Um, we um, we're we're not really like haven't been really in a battle, but he's in my class, and he did raise the bar as of yesterday to a new record of. 400 and I don't know what the official uh, average speed that he had obtained, but I think it's around 470-ish miles per hour. And, you know, that's on four wheels. So, you know, I always said, you know, they say, why don't you race four wheels? I was like, four wheels will slow me down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Two wheels are like, poof, they just fly. I mean, just again, for the people that are listening, obviously the Vroom podcast is catering for, for two wheels and, and four wheels. And, and I think that, you know, just 
it's amazing. I wish that we actually did this as a video podcast because <laughs> the facial expressions that, that Valerie is giving when she's talking about this. I mean, you you live you live for this sport, don't you? you? It's clear for me to see just yeah. the way that you're talking and the facial expressions. This means everything to you. I, I just wish you could see my goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at my muscle or anything. She's got some muscles. I tell you, she's, she's got bigger muscles than me. Look at that. Look at that. It's incredible. <laughs> I got a hurt thumb from playing pickleball this morning. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I wasn't going to say that, but in the intro, I was going to say, you're racing motorcycles at 300-odd miles an hour, and you're playing pickleball uh, across, a, like a, a for those in, in England that don't know what that is, it's kind of a mix between sort of badminton, tennis, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And, and you've stubbed your, stubbed your pinky playing pickleball. <laughs> Oh no, I got hit by my partner. My first swing of the he goes, let's let's warm up a little bit. My partner goes, and, and he was in my the ball came to my court and his name is Walter and he came into my side of my court, my little bubble, and he took his racket and as I was swinging, <laughs> uh he swung my he, his racket hit my thumb and it turned black and blue like instantly. I've never lost a nail in my life. I don't I, I, nails. I just, you know, I'm a racer. I like, I just, you know, I, I don't do nails, but um, I, I'm gonna miss this nail. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see the color, the coloration on the nail now. It's like yeah. when we first started the call, it was uh, uh, Valerie turned and she starts waving a bag of ice at me. I was just like, oh man, like seriously, it's incredible. <laughs> this is take two. <laughs> oh man, oh man. Um, I've got to ask you as well about this um, this film that you're involved with, um, which yes. is Rockets and Titans. I think Titans. is correct. Um, I've seen the trailer for it on the on the website. So if anybody listening, in fact, I'm sure everybody listening, go and follow Valerie on Instagram, on on Twitter, uh, and check out the website as well. And you can see this trailer. Uh, and from what I understand, you've had a film crew following you around, but kind of behind the scenes, really, to understand what you have to go through to prepare. And, and I mean, just the trailer itself is about a minute and twenty, but I was fascinated. I can't wait to watch this film. I know. It, it, it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, producer Andy, he's been working day and night. You know, I'll give him a text here and there. And, you know, and I'll show him the wine I'm drinking or doing something or, you know, hey, I, now I got to go this fast, you know, or I'll just, you know, randomly send him a few messages here and there. And he's like, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> I'm putting away. I'm chopping and cutting and pasting and, you know, making uh, magic. And so they, they followed us for about three and a half, four years and um, in our uh, racing because, you know, our racing is in, at the Bonneville, you know, with the weather, it's all mother nature. We don't just have a really prep track. We have to make and prep our track. We have to take, you know, for hours and days, we have to take uh, a steel beam and drive down the racetrack to even out the salt to compact it. And I, it's already compact, but you take a big, huge steel beam that's probably 30 feet long ish. Um, I could be wrong, but, and the truck tows it and he goes like 10 miles per hour, you know, he has to go, they have to go slow. They also cut up the track and they'll do, 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 you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have to do it so many times. And, and our track is probably, you know, half the size of a football, <laughs> you know, but it is, you know, they do prepare it for depending on when we have good salt, good weather, you know, we, in a perfect world of ours, we would love, you know, 10 to 12 miles, but in a perfect world and, and not so perfect, we get about seven, 
but still it's time consuming before we even get to race. You know, we have to set up the cones, the FIM, they come out and the AMA, they come out and they measure and they time everything. And we got test our timers and it's, you know, it's all done professionally. Um, but it's just not a sport. That's a huge spectator sport on, you know, on film, on, on, on TV or, you know, ESPN or Fox sports or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it it sounds, I mean, some of the things you're saying, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I I followed it a little bit since we first met and I'm looking at the speeds, but I had no idea that you guys even have to go and prepare the, it's not like just turning up at WeatherTech Raceway and putting your helmet on and go riding, right? It's, it's completely, it's a different world. There's a lot that there's way more that goes into it anywhere from the entry fees to, you know, before any machine can go on a, a track, um, you have to be scrutinized with all the bells and whistles. You know, you have to do bailout procedures. If you're in a cockpit, like I am, you have to do, and you have to do it under 30 seconds. Well, my fastest was um, 11 seconds. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, to they video, uh, they, well, my team videos me, but the, um, the scrutineers, they, uh, time you with their uh, watch timer, you know, and, um, but they, they go through, they check your safety equipment, you know, or, and they check the car or the bike for safety issues. And, you know, some people can't race because of X, Y, Z that they didn't see in the rule book. And, you know, the rule book is really great areas. <laughs> There's a lot of great areas. So, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of your fans will know great areas in the rule book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm sure. I mean, I just, I just, again, I mean, we've been talking for sort of 20, 25 minutes. I just find the whole thing just so fascinating because it's, you know, I'm massively involved in, in motorsport. And as long as it's got an engine and two wheels or four wheels, I'm there. But this is a, a side of the sport that I haven't really followed until I met you a few years ago and I just find the more that I follow it and understand it it's it's worlds away from what I'm used to but you know I think it should be a spectator sport I mean it's it's the adrenaline I mean spectators that are there oh don't get me wrong there's a lot of spectators that are there but you know like it's just not um on tv it's It's not not mainstream is it it's It's not mainstream we do have um where so since the COVID hit you know we have been able they did get it to where um it's mainstream uh, to hear what's going on so we do have that now you know so that's really really cool because that's how we learned how you know people um, have succeeded with um their goals so um yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. cool though it, it, there's so much more there's so much more to talk about but you know it's it's so fun, so amazing. And just to drive and ride a motorcycle and to go this fast, it's like, you know, once you're, you get suited up and, you know, that's a, that's a chore, you know, and then, and then when the helmet goes on, that's when the zone comes, you know, and then, and then you get buckled into a five prong, you know, system and, you know, like in NASCAR uh, compared to a car, um, you know, it's spacious, it's wide open, you get this, you get that, you get tied down. Well, my bike, it's so tight. There's like no room to wiggle. There's no room for anything. And there's certainly not room for two hands because there's each crew member on the side tying me in, pulling down the straps, buckling me in because 
I can't look down. I can't look sideways. I can only look forward. And so with my um, Hans device, which is a safety device that we put around our neck to make so our neck doesn't snap, um, I'll tell you that it's exhausting just getting cinched in there. You know, like, you know, to get a, put your leg over a motorcycle and your boots and how to walk and how to talk, and, you know, how to do the helmet and how to watch for things down below. I mean, you usually have people to kind of push you along, but it's, it's exhausting when you just get tied in there. But then when they're done, it's like, okay, this is my world. Okay. Yeah. This is my space. Okay. And then I get a certain burst of energy and this huge burst of energy comes out and I'm, I'm hoping and hollering. I'm like, Whoa! you know, and then all of a sudden I put my hands on the um, controls and then I quiet. I'm quiet. I'm like, that's when my zone hits. It's like, okay, this is do or die. I have to, get into my, this is my zone. This is quiet time. Leave me alone. The cockpit's already closed. It's already cinched. The rope's about ready to come down because in the car and in the bike, we get towed because we have such long gears. So I have to be at a tow rope at 50 miles per hour per the AMA and the FIM. You have to release the rope or you'll, you'll get disqualified. So you know, the rope is one thing, but the car would, and when you dump the rope and you put it on first gear and that thing picks up because the gyro effect is getting up on its toes. The Well, it's getting up on its toes, getting up on its wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the car has to go sideways and it still has the rope towing. Well, you don't want to hit that back. <laughs> wow. So you have to kind of like, they're, they're so good and they're so professional. They've been doing it for you know, 60 years, 40 years, 60 years, you know, and uh, my team that I have, that I am racing with on the um, Streamliner side, the the bike is called the Bub 7. It's built by John Jans, Dennis Manning. And so we call ourselves the Team 7 because our bike number is number 7. And it's Dennis Manning's um, Streamliner number 7 that he's ever built in, in the world. So he has had seven of the 11 fastest motorcycles streamliners in the world that he's built and you know here's he's you know just this you know he's not an old man that's for sure but he's you know he's he's getting you know he's he wants to retire he wants to you know settle the score he's owned the record many times before he's owned the world record by chris carr you know he's our he's our famous little guy around town of you know, being in the, um, he's a seven time champ in the, um, flat track. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of my competitors, I'm going to tell you this is, was Guy Martin. Oh, do you know what? He's, that's on my list of questions. I was going to bring the guy, Guy Martin into the, uh, into this. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you were, um, you obviously raced against Guy uh, and obviously I think, uh, in records terms, you're obviously faster than him as well. Uh, I sure, I sure, I sure am. I left for a second because I got his book. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you have as well. Absolutely. And he, he mentioned me in his book. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, Even though he got my state wrong where I live, but that's okay. <laughs> wow. Fact check next time. <laughs> uh, it was so funny is because um, when I was sponsored with BMW Motorrad, um, they would send me to the BMW Motorrad days once a year in July. So... 
uh, I'd fly over there and um, he was signing autographs with, you know, with some of the other superstars there. And, and it was so great because on my autograph card, I always put my speed, you know, it's like 328 miles per hour now, but you know, on my BMW side, when I was being promoting the BMW and this is way before I started racing all these fast cars and bikes, um, he's like 217. How did you do that? I was like, well, a lot of throttle and a, <laughs> and a lot of brake at the end because I only had a quarter mile to slow down in. <laughs> wow. And he, he was like scratching his head. He was like, you, like, look at me, like, you. Like, he kept, like, was so confused that I did that. But it was so cool that, you know, over time I, I got to know him a bit more. And, you know, from all the events that we've done and been a part of through the motorcycle uh, BMW days and, um, and then when he came out to the salt flats, I was like, oh my God, he's going to kick my ass. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. You can, you can say what you can say. I'm sure if we were talking to Guy, he'd be saying a lot worse than that. So uh... <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd be like, I got some worms to go catch. So I'll be right back. <laughs> but, no, I mean, to be, to be fair to Guy though, he was actually pretty good considering he'd never done it before. I mean, he is a bit of a speed demon, isn't he? Yes. I mean, I knew and I know he will do so great. Now, I don't know what the situation is um, with, um, you know, with, with their program now. But um, in that movie trailer that your, your fans and your friends will, you know, hopefully go see um, on my website, uh, he's in it. You know, that's his, the, the black uh, carbon fiber a Triumph. Um, oh, was that guy? That's him. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back I mean, and watch that again. You know, again. in a trailer, you only got like, you know, a couple of seconds. To, yeah, like a couple of seconds. You know, like on Instagram, you can only post 60 seconds. So they have, it's just, just a sec 60 seconds um, of, a, uh, of a trailer, you know, for the movie. So, um, yeah, so he's in the movie and there, and, 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 and we all talk about, you know, what we're all going through and I'm sure he was interviewed and, and Rocky Robinson, which holds the world record, uh, he's speed 376 miles per hour still stands. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, a lot of work to do. That's for sure. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to, to watch next year when, uh, when you get out to Australia, when all of this coronavirus is, is, is past us. Um, I do want to just, um, throw another couple of statistics in here, and I'm, I may have got some of these wrong, um, so I apologise if I, if I do. So please, please correct me. Um, not only are you super, super famous for going fast in a straight line, um, but I do believe that there was a rock band uh, called CTS that actually wrote a song called Quarter Mile, which was dedicated to you. Is that is that true? That, that's very true. Yes, wow. it is. That's good. Um, and they play all over the place. They, they play all over the world. They, they travel to, uh, they're a very big uh, support, the military and military families. And, um, and they're all their songs are all written by uh, Jeff senior senior. And, um, he, he writes, you know, about people that inspire him. And that's so I cool. One of those. And when I was drag racing, I told that I, on my autograph cards, it said, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And I was like, gosh, I don't want to change that. But I do, I, I race 11 miles at a time now. <laughs> no, that's, that's really, that's really, really cool. So again, I think, you know, um, 
I've met many, many racers or I've spoken to many racers or sons of racers that have had, you know, stamps have been made of them and things like that. Never anybody that's had a rock song dedicated to that. That is so freaking cool. And you know what's so cool is that he dedicates, you know, a lot of his time to, like I said, the military. And he goes to, involves the kids, the kids' choruses and the kids um, that plays the instrumental part. And my BMW was up on stage with probably 60 kids playing the instrumental part of that song. And it was a long introduction. I stood there. I was like, Oh God, you know, and then you were playing in front of in an auditorium with all the kids, parents, moms, and the, in, in the, in the, the groupies that follow the, the oh, yeah. rock band. And, you know, and then he introduced me and he told me, they told the, the crowd why, you know, I inspired the song and why he wrote the song. So, oh, that's amazing. Um, you know, just to see the kids and everybody playing in there, you know, in the background, it's like, I'm in a classical. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> right. BMW put up on a stage like that. It was like huge. <laughs> no, that is, that is cool. And, and something else, which I'm, I may have got this wrong as well, but hopefully I haven't. Um, obviously over here, we always watch the Super Bowl every year. Um, yeah. You had a commercial played during the Super Bowl as well, right? I was in the super the go dad go go go, go daddy commercial. <laughs> yeah, it was you know my second year of racing. I will say is when my first year of racing, I I had no idea what racing was really about. I had no idea what a sponsorship package was. I had no idea how to take care of sponsors, what to do, and like I was a banker for thirteen years and got laid off. And so, you know, I, I moved to Arizona on a whim because I wanted to ride my motorcycle full time. And I, I lived in Washington State. It rained so much and I was laid off. I didn't know what to do with myself. I had a house that I had just recently bought after, you know, I got laid off from the, uh, the banking world. And um, they said, well, you can move to Ohio or you could stay here and take severance pay. I said, I'm staying here. And then I ended up riding a motorcycle <laughs> and buying a motorcycle. I bought the motorcycle and I never even knew how to ride the bike. I went to the rider's course. I passed it. I went to the written course to, you know, get the actual license and I flunked because <laughs> they make tricky words. They have tricky words, you know, and they ask tricky questions. And so I had, uh, and then I went back and then I studied, I went back and I passed and I had to drive 45 miles just to go get my motorcycle. I don't, I go, I don't know how I'm going to get it home. So my friend, he helped me get it home and it sat there for three months for three months, I was like, what did I do? Why did I do this? Wow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a friend calls and says, yeah, I'm going for a bike ride. I go, oh, what kind of bike do you have? He goes, oh, we got Harleys. I was like, yeah, sometimes you don't know your friend have Harleys, you know, and you just see them out at different occasions and different things. And, you know, it's either girlfriend, boyfriend type stuff. You know, you go have dinners. And I said, Harley, I go, I got a Harley. He goes, no, you don't. I go, yes, I do. I have a Harley Davidson. And I told him what I had. I told him what I did. And he go, I go, can I ride with you? And his exact first words out of his mouth, his name is Tim Ross. And he said, Valerie, you have, if you want to ride with us, you have to ride to keep up. And that like, I can do that. 
So I rode with them. And I'm going to tell you, those are the, that's the riding group that really put me into that confidence world of who Valerie is now, because if it wasn't for them writing and being told that I had to be, I had to keep up, I would not, I'd be putt-putting with the girls, you know, and I'd be putt-putting by myself or I would have already sold it by now, way before. And I rode with them and they just turned me into a really smooth writer that I knew I could be. But, and you know, now, so the story goes way deep. <laughs> my, my story, my journey, my story, how I got into it, you know, it just goes a little bit deeper you know, like not having any family or relatives and, or even, you know, like a boyfriend or anything, you know, they don't do racing, you know, they just, they, they, they participate in my racing as watching. I just, I just think it's fascinating. I mean, we've been talking nearly 45 minutes, so we're coming to the end. I mean, it's, I could talk to you for another four hours. It's, I know. I seem to remember when we started speaking at Laguna, they ended up having to tell me to be quiet because we were still talking too much then as well. But, uh, I think that you're. I think you're. You're just an incredible human being. I think it's your story is inspirational, and, and I cannot thank you enough for for firstly staying in touch with me, and uh, and for secondly just agreeing to be on on the podcast. I mean, as I say, it's it's a new world for me. This podcast malarkey. So uh, I, I really. Well, you did an awesome job because you did really good. And, oh, thank and you. I just I just want to end my note of just saying I am just grateful to have racing as a platform, to be inspirational, to empower and be a role model. And, you know, I'm committed and dedicated to this sport. I love to share my journey with others. And if I can help people along the way, that's that's my end result. That's what makes me happy. And, you know, I, I love to encourage and inspire, you know, even the males, the guys, you know. Especially and it's like, the I got more guy, BMW, come on. I got more guy BMW people reaching out to me like, hey, what did you do to your bike at the Bonneville Salt Flats? I go, well, this is the, I should have put down a checklist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, here, here you go. <laughs> but okay. I did. But I took the time and I spoke to each one uh, individually in people I didn't even know, you know, and, you know, taking the time out for those, uh, I'm sure that, you know, they really appreciated that. So. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I think. I, I couldn't have summed it any better than, than what you just have. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people listening to this will be firstly amazed at the, the things you've achieved and the things that you, you will achieve in the future. And, and also just what, as I said, what an incredible human being you are. I think, I think you're inspirational and I'm sure you'll have inspired a lot of people uh, listening to this. And, and hopefully as well, a lot of, a lot of females that are thinking, should, should I get into racing? Well, yes, if you want to go race a bike, get into it, go do it. Yes. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I wasn't a success by accident or I was a success by accident. You know, the first thing is follow your dreams. Never give up. Never answer. No, never take no. Know that you have the pain and struggles. You have to work hard. And if it's something that you love to do, the struggle is easy. If you have the passion for what you do, it's contagious. So just hashtag never give up. Do it from the heart. Absolutely. I'll make sure that we put that when we uh, when we uh, launch the episode next Wednesday. That will be the hashtag on the Twitter as well. Um, hashtag never give up. Hashtag Valerie Thompson racing. Hashtag Valerie Thompson. Absolutely. Hashtag Valerie. <laughs> Valerie, seriously, thank you so, so much for, for being a guest on episode eight of Vroom. Uh, big I'm not 
I should have been on seven. <laughs> <laughs> I know it should have been. It should have been. I didn't get that right. Damn. That's a, that's all right. I have eight. I have eight land speed records, so I can be number eight. There we go. That, I'm working on nine and ten, and then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie, again, thank you so, so much. Um, please stay safe. And as again, for those that are listening, check out Valerie's website. She's on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the whole malarkey. And again, go onto YouTube and check out um, Rockets and Titans. That is the uh, the name of the movie. Uh, the trailer's out now. Uh, the film will be out later this year. And everything is on my website for all the links and, and the trailers on my website as well. Perfect. So ValerieThompsonRacing.com. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure you're going to get a load more followers. Thank you again, Valerie, for, for being part. And please, please, please keep in touch. And when you do get to Australia, be safe. I will. I hope to see you here in the United States. I have to yeah, come and see you. Me too. Right. I hope to see you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Valerie. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's it for episode eight. A big, big thank you to our guests this week, Valerie Thompson and Asha Durham. We wish them well on their future motorsport exploits. And of course, uh, make sure you have subscribed to the channel. Uh, we've got episode nine coming up next week. With another two motorsport stars waiting to entertain you. Room. Your weekly Motorsport Fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by The Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions.